This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Lonnie's Honeymoon Suite Studio here in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. I'm sure lots of listeners waiting with bated breath to find out which Sam it was that got married yesterday. I'm the wife guy. (laughs) Sam Knight, the wife guy. Congratulations, bud. Thank you. My girlfriend Martha and I got hitched yesterday at the courthouse, and it was the best day of my life. Well, congratulations on that. I know we were talking about this before we started recording, how some of our listeners might have read that tweet and tried to figure out which Sam got married by looking at our Twitter feeds from yesterday, and we were both shitposting about Pete Buttigieg in the morning. (laughs) So (laughs) no clues off that. Well, I think to be fair, they could easily discern based on the fact that I was way down on my volume of of posts yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not make it seem like I was shit posting all throughout my wedding day here. Well, to be fair, there was good cause because Twitter banned you (laughs) on the weekend of your wedding. (laughs) The fuck was up with that? I got caught in the dragnet cast by the Mayor Pete campaign. The only indication I got was that a tweet was flagged calling Mayor Pete McKinsey Rat Boy. (laughs) That should not get you banned. Well, it it said I wasn't banned. It said it didn't violate the rules. Sorry, go on. Maybe it had something to do with you changing your username to like Rat Mode Tom Perez. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it did, but I feel like that's that's also bullshit. But it yeah, it, it does remind me of that time uh, Felix Biederman got banned for saying he was Mark Kirk's press secretary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we are following. The... I'm back, by the way. Follow yeah. me at Sam Knight Four. Uh, Sam spelled Knight, out. like my name, the the letter, the number four spelled out. F O U R. We are uh, following the New Hampshire primary. Watching a lot of MSNBC today, which is delivering some primo content uh, for us. Looks like Bloomberg got some write-in votes in Dixville Notch, that precinct that votes at midnight in New Hampshire. One Uh, of them was on the Republican side. (laughs) Makes sense. Which, to be fair, is more appropriate. Meanwhile, over the last few days, we've just been inundated with Bloomberg videos of him admitting how racist he is. Bloomberg has spent a quarter billion dollars already, and uh, it's leading to him going up in a lot of the polls. But of course, in his own ad buys, he's not going to be talking about his stop and frisk policies and saying all the racist shit that he has said. And those ads are going to come out too over time. Yeah, I mean, he's just fucking flooding the airwaves with messages saying mike can get it done mike can do it and he's paying fucking sock puppet trolls uh to to big him up on social media and you know at some point he's he's buying himself enough room in the polls where everyone's like well shit now we gotta now we gotta pull out the knives and i hope i hope you won't see bloomberg rise any further than he already has and i i certainly don't think 
uh, he'll rise much further. Let's hope he rises just far enough to pull all the other moderate candidates below the 15% threshold yeah. in a lot of states. Yes, to yes, yes, yes. Because whatever the... In, I gathered this was the concerted strategy heading into 2016. We're seeing a replay of what happened in 2016 with Trump and the Republicans. Now it's playing out again with uh, Democrats in terms of the establishment of the party not recognizing or recognizing too late that they're not going to be able to control this nomination process and the candidate that they uh, least want to win is actually poised to win. So... I mean, seeing this play out in 2016, you would think that the Democratic Party, as they saw Bernie looming on the horizon, would uh, have some plan to block him or stop him. And to the point about uh, New Hampshire tonight and the write-in votes for Bloomberg, he's obviously not on the ballot. But we were talking about, is it possible that so many people who would have probably voted for Buttigieg are now going to write in Bloomberg and take Buttigieg under the 15% threshold. It's possible because the the uh, the centrists are trying to fucking clown car fuck Bernie. I think yeah. I, uh, I laid out that theory before where they were trying to steal so many delegates from Bernie uh, to deny him the, uh, the, majority. Nomination, the majority of delegates at the convention. But with this 15% threshold rule... They might all shove each other out of the way. We might see Bernie Sanders being the only candidate who walks away from New Hampshire with any delegates tonight. Yeah, and this is what I was saying, is that if their strategy, if their stop Bernie strategy was to just flood the race with candidates to scoop up delegates to force a contested convention and stop Bernie there when superdelegates come in on the second ballot... They're totally blowing this because they've got so many candidates that it's keeping them below 15% in a lot of cases. And Bernie might clinch a majority even faster now as a result of all this. Truly phenomenal stuff. I, I think Add I w- that to the uh, woman on MSNBC saying she's voting for Bernie because of the people on MSNBC who are constantly shitting on Bernie. <laughs> Just, you love to see it. You fucking love to see it. I think the uh, major flaw in Bloomberg's strategy here is too little too late he probably could have bought this nomination if he had started like straight away right after the midterms right after the 2018 midterms you know he had already registered maybe as a democrat by then (laughs) all these videos would still come out of him being racist as hell no that's true but I fear that Flooding the airwaves still has a powerful impact. Yeah, I think and it he definitely... is absolutely doing that, and it's honestly it's terrifying. And if he gets the nom, if he steals this nomination by buying it, harm minimization to me looks like doing everything you can to vote against Bloomberg, <laughs> because if we're living in a system that allows people like Bloomberg to buy nominations, what does that fucking say? What does that say? I think Bernie should get out there and say, look, if Bloomberg is the nominee, maybe not yet, but w- w- wait a little bit. If if this Bloomberg fucking plot looks like it's working, Bernie should get out there and say, I am running a write-in campaign because it is just unacceptable for this, the second election in a row, a racist rich oligarch buying his way yeah. to the nomination and like how much more of this shit can you take? 
No, absolutely do not vote blue, no matter who. And if Michael Bloomberg is the nominee, you should vote for someone else. Even if that means trying to tank the Democratic nomination. I'm sorry. We got a preview of what that would look like when uh, Trump tweeted out that mini Mike uh, hits a short ball. He doesn't drive the ball very long on the golf course uh, as a tweet. Funny, uh, Trump initially this morning tweeted out an attack on Bloomberg, pointing out that Bloomberg is racist and sharing a video of Bloomberg being a racist in defense of stop and frisk, but deleted that tweet and instead followed it up with a tweet making fun of how far Bloomberg can hit a golf ball. Reminds me Someone of, probably reminded Trump that in 2016 he campaigned on stop and frisk being good. <laughs> this reminds me of, uh, I think it was Howard Feynman, who was on MSNBC a few weeks ago, or a week ago, hyping up the Bloomberg campaign, talking about what a good candidate he would be against Donald Trump. And this was the example Howard Feynman used. He said, can you imagine the debate in which Trump is going to accuse Mike Bloomberg of being small and Bloomberg is going to respond, I'll tell you what's small, your fortune compared to my $60 billion. And Howard Feynman thought that that was going to be a line that would win Bloomberg the election. Talk about how out of touch these people are. If you have Bloomberg versus Trump arguing for three months about who has the most billions and who hits a golf ball farther? What do you think? First off, Trump will win in a landslide of 19 people coming out to vote for him and like two people coming out to vote for Bloomberg after that election. And that is uh, about as heightened of the contradictions as you can create that election. So as far as I can see it, we win either way. Either Bernie's the nominee and we win that way, or we've heightened the contradictions to such an extent that revolution is the only option afterward. Yep. If I if I said if I tweeted how I really felt about that Howard Feynman take, uh, you would you would be hearing from at Sam Knight five by the end of the week. <laughs> All right, let's do this. It's Tuesday, February eleventh. Here's the news. Jerome Powell, chair of the Federal Reserve, testified today before the House Financial Services Committee. That gave Texas Republican Roger Williams the chance to ask his favorite question. Are you a capitalist or a socialist? With baseball season uh, slowly approaching, I wanted to make sure one thing before I continue, that uh, you still are on team capitalism. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. For those unaware, Williams inherited a car dealership from his father. Capitalism, Team baby. capitalism, folks. As an aside, one of his opponents in November could be Heidi Sloan. She's the DSA member who burned the letter from the Right to Work Committee on Twitter. She also recently went on Eat the Rich. Check out the latest there from the ETR boys to learn more about her campaign and about Williams being a fucking dirtbag. His district was basically gerrymandered specifically for him to win. Just sounds like just total fucking shit. Anyway, back to the hearing. Shortly after Williams' round, someone on Team Socialist showed up to show why team capitalism sucks shit. Here's Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib asking why the Fed bails out Wall Street and not Main Street, state and local governments that the Fed allows to collapse during times of crises. Take a listen. Can you explain to me why we shouldn't, you know, why shouldn't the Federal Reserve ensure that state and local governments have access to funding during times of stress? 
We have, we have as you know, uh, limited authority. I think it's to buy short-term municipal obligations. We did do that uh, in the 1970s briefly and then have not done it since. The start of the neoliberal era. Anyway, here's more from Tlaib. As she explains, her constituents have suffered because of this mentality after Detroit was forced to declare bankruptcy in 2013. So when the Fed step in to rescue banks in a crisis, is that because you believe their role in the economy is vital? Well, really, because we had no choice to prevent the financial system from collapsing in 2007. Yeah, no. I mean, my city filing bankruptcy was devastating to so many retirees, sir. 40, 50 years, they worked for the city of Detroit, saw their pensions completely diminished, gone. Do you not believe that the governments of Detroit and Puerto Rico also play a vital role that should be preserved, even if financial crisis makes it hard for them to borrow money? I, I, what I believe is that that's not a job for the Fed. The <clears throat> Fed has a particular role and particular authorities, and you know, lending to state and local governments and, and supporting them when they're in bankruptcy is yeah, not, has you not do, part you, of our mandate. We're going to strongly disagree. I do believe you do have the authority. Building on that strong disagreement, Tlaib said the Fed is deliberately ignoring its authority because of its class interest. Here's the congresswoman finishing her time with a tiger uppercut. The federal government is supposed to be about people. And uh, I don't see that we're treating, you know, pensioners, a city like the city of Detroit, which is frontline communities that have really been hit hard by the financial recession. I mean, we haven't actually. They keep saying Detroit's coming back. If I show you neighborhoods, they'll tell you, we don't know what you're talking about because poverty's actually increased, access to housing has decreased. I mean, all, the, all of those things. Uh, that we, we start reflecting and, and understanding that I believe the Federal Reserve Act actually gives us authority to help and treat, just like we bailed out big banks, that we can do the same for our people, the residents of the city of Detroit. Um, so I thank you for that. And again, uh, would actu actually ask and push you to looking at this from a different lens versus what the same old, pol you know, the same old process, which I believe hasn't really worked for working class people. Thank you so much. And I yield the rest of my time. Quantitative easing for the people. You really would love to see it. Possibly how President Sanders is going to need to finance his infrastructure plans, by the way. Not optimistic that uh, Congress will be 100% on his team on a lot of things. i saying this without any irony whatsoever. I legitimately can't wait for infrastructure week during the Sanders administration. <laughs> One more thing from this hearing. Later, someone who is also on Team Capitalism with Powell unintentionally explained why capitalism sucks. Listen to this exchange between the Fed chair and California Democrat Katie Porter, who, for the record, is an Elizabeth Warren surrogate. Mr. Powell, I'm going to project a picture up here um, so that the audience can see, but I'm also going to hold it up for you. Um, is this you, Mr. Powell? That is. Um, wh where are you? That's a, that's a party after the alfalfa dinner, an after party that I went to. Um, where was that party held? It was at uh, Jeff Bezos' home. At Jeff Bezos' home. And um, was, when was it taken? Excuse me? When was this picture taken? Saturday night after the alfalfa dinner. Um, give or take, you'll stipulate January, end of January 2020. Yes. Recently. Um, can you imagine how attending a lavish party at Jeff Bezos' $23 million home um, along with Jared and Ivanka and the CEO of JPMorgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, might 
give off the sense to the public that you are not, in fact, immune from external pressures? I would certainly hope not. <laughs> Katie, join DSA. You're so close. You're so close. In unrelated but not unrelated news, yesterday the Financial Times reported a recent Goldman Sachs analysis. The bank found that the richest 1% of Americans own 50% of all the value created by the stock market. That's that buy a presidential election money that uh, Bloomberg's leaning on there. The bottom 90%, meanwhile, only owns a measly 12% of all stock value. This is how Bloomberg is able to spend probably upwards of a billion dollars this election cycle and not really lose any money because he's just making money off the market at the same rate. How great would that burn. be if the stock market crashed and Bloomberg had to uh, had to wind up his campaign? He's like, ah, I love, you know, I'm only worth five five billion dollars mm. now. Sucks. You should have thought of that beforehand. <laughs> Big win for monopolists today. A federal judge in New York ruled in favor of telecom giants T-Mobile and Sprint, allowing a twenty-six billion dollar merger that will no doubt screw over consumers to proceed. A group of states had sued to block the buyout, a last-ditch effort after Trump's Justice Department and the FCC approved it. The court claimed that the proposed merger, quote, is not reasonably likely to substantially lessen competition, end quote. That's despite the very obvious fact that the number of providers in the industry after the merger will drop from four to three. Southern District of New York Judge Victor Marrero admitted in his ruling that the trove of data presented by the states to argue for how the merger will harm competition and consumers didn't really sway him because the companies had their own data that, quote, essentially cancel each other out as helpful evidence that the court could comfortably endorse as decidedly affirming one side rather than the other. Getting a vibe of... There's actually zero difference between good things and bad things. You imbecile, you fucking moron. This reminds me as well of the time when the, I think it was an appellate circuit judge ruling on an emoluments case said that actually uh, people spending a bunch of money at Trump's hotels uh, could actually hurt their businesses yeah. too because some people don't like the president. <laughs> Not like he presides over an entire administrative and regulatory state or anything. Instead, Marrero said he based his decision on, quote, the ample occasion to observe the witnesses and assess their credibility and demeanor on the witness stand, end quote. As in, the judge saw T-Mobile chief John Laguerre and was like, I trust that guy. You know, uh, I've said this a million times before, but Laguerre, before Trump was president, Laguerre had tweeted about how much he hated Trump hotels and how much he hated staying at Trump hotels. He got in a Twitter fight with Trump about how his hotels were basically really shitty. And then after this proposed merger was announced, guess who shows up at the Trump Hotel in Washington? John Legere. Yeah. Just like literally pissing distance from the U.S. Department of Justice. Point of the story, don't trust John Legere. Anyway, the nine states plus D.C. that initially sued to block the merger are now considering an appeal. Before I am sued by T-Mobile and John Legere, I don't think it is actually literally pissing distance from Trump Hotel to the DOJ. 
but it's, it's fucking it's, close. It's pretty fucking close. Like maybe if you were on the top, like on the top of the Trump Hotel and had some some arc, <laughs> you could maybe reach with, the Department with, of Justice with the wind at your back. Yes. The Trump administration is looking to do yet another favor for the fossil fuel industry. Today, the Department of Energy issued a policy proposal enabling more exports of natural gas. Specifically, the proposal would grease the wheels for U.S. gas exports to countries that don't currently have a free trade agreement with the United States. That includes India, Japan, and South Korea, as the Houston Chronicle noted this morning. In today's Federal Register, the department said it was seeking to issue these expedited licenses and that they would last until December 31, 2050. By then, as a recent projection noted, climate change is supposed to have caused sea level increases that will threaten the homes of 150 million people around the world. Hat tip to the researchers Scott Culp and Benjamin Strauss. I should note the pair described this as a, quote, moderate future scenario. One can only assume that more gas exports would make the severe future scenarios more likely. Finally today, the Special Inspector General for I Afghanistan... I just hate how I pronounce scenario and scenario two different ways. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't let that go. I couldn't fucking let that go. Anyway, go on about your your last story here from Sigar. This motherfucker said scenario. <laughs> Finally, uh, Sigar, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, John Sopko, is out with a new report detailing the human costs of reconstruction, we routinely report on this show on the activities of Cigar, which uh, have focused primarily on the money spent on reconstruction, nearly $140 billion, and whether that money has been used wisely or whether it's been wasted. And like 90% of the time, it's been wasted, like the $43 million gas station and shit. Well, this latest report is a first of its kind as SIGAR attempted to calculate how many people have been killed or wounded working on reconstruction projects. Here's what the oversight body found. 2,214 people killed, 2,921 wounded, and 1,182 kidnapped or missing. That includes at least 284 Americans, mostly U.S. troops, but also nearly 70 civilians or government contractors. 1,578 Afghans have also been killed. In the report, SIGAR detailed two of the highest casualty events. Both occurred in 2011. The first was an attack on a U.S.-funded road construction project that killed 35 people. The other attack involved a suicide bomber who killed 28 members of a construction crew. Now, the data covers the time between 2002 and 2018, and there was a spike in casualties and kidnappings occurring in 2010 with over 1,000 incidents in that year alone. The numbers steadily dropped off over the next several years, but there was a spike again in 2018 with 325 incidents that was higher than the three prior years. That spike in 2010, that was right after Obama's failed surge, huh? Do you, do you remember at the end of, uh, or toward the end of the Obama era, how he was like, folks, oh, oh, the war in Afghanistan is basically over. <laughs> Bringing them home. Obama. What a failure. Failure. Fucking failure. Sorry, but go windsurfing with Branson, bro. <laughs> Your time is over. I think we mentioned Obama windsurfing with Branson. We've probably mentioned it at least 150 times on the show, and we need to mention it 150 more times. 
That music means it's time to read some poetry. All new subscribers to our Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel, get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. This one is for Mark. You want racism? You want oligarchy? Guess what? It's Bloomberg. Thank you, Mark. This is for Tim. If Bloomberg steals it and he buys the dim ticket, I'll phone bank for greens. <laughs> so will I. Thank you, Tim. This is for 200 OK. If it is Bloomberg, Trump will say Mike's dick is small, then win a landslide. <laughs> Thank you, 200 OK. I feel like Trump could still win in a landslide without resorting uh, to such tawdry tactics. Not that, uh, not that that is beneath him making that. I felt like he was implying that to Marco Rubio already. Yeah, I felt like he was implying that Mike's dick was small with the uh, mini Mike short ball golf tweet earlier. I don't know. He's also obsessed with golf, so he's got slow club head speed, folks. Mike Bloomberg, slow club head speed. Doesn't keep his left arm straight, folks. (laughs) Finally, this is for Henrik, the NYPD. Spied on Muslims for Bloomberg. He is disgusting. Yes, he is. Thank you, Henrik. And thanks to all the new subscribers. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. We had quite a few of you subscribe over the weekend. So if you haven't heard your haiku yet, it's coming up on tomorrow's show. Stay tuned. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. We are back tomorrow. We're here in D.C. so you don't have to be.